Good. Well, I just want to quickly add my welcome if you've joined us since the start of the service this afternoon. Um, I'm so glad that you're with us today, whether you are a foundation regular or whether you're online for the first time this afternoon. I'm so glad that you've joined us. Uh, we are right in the early stages of a series looking through the, the New Testament book of Luke. And as Dave's just read, today we're in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. It's an interesting little story, a story about good news, lots of fish, double meanings, and Jesus calling his first disciples. And so we're going to dive into it today, walk through it bit by bit, unpack it, and see how it applies to our lives today. As Jesus called those first followers, how might he be calling us too today? So let's read together, and we're going to get stuck into it. So we begin with verse 1. Just before we do, just to set the scene, give some context. You know, we said last week that when we approach Scripture, we need to remember the chapter and verse divisions are a, are a later thing. They help us navigate. They kind of can sometimes give us some idea of broad themes or sections, but they're not always helpful either because they can cause us to forget what's happened before and then to read as though this is completely unrelated. But this was written as one letter in the first instance, one account from Luke to someone called Theophilus, that they might know the truth uh, of what they've heard about Christ Jesus. And so we need to look back at the end of chapter 4. And the last thing we read at the end of chapter 4 is Jesus saying, I need to go on from this place. And then we read from chapter 4, verse 43. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So Jesus has already told them, look, I, I need to go out from this place. I can't just stay here. I'm going to go, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to preach. I'm going to declare the good news of the kingdom of God to these different places, to where I'm going. And then we jump into chapter 5, and we have an account of one such occasion, of Jesus doing just that. And so what we read in 5.1 is this, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. People were gathering to Jesus to hear him proclaim the word of God to them. Luke wants to point this out for us. These people were pressing in to hear the word of God. They weren't pressing in on Jesus to get rich. They weren't pressing in on Jesus to receive a physical blessing or a miracle. They were pressing in hungry to hear the word of God, which is good news, which brings life. And they knew it and they were eager to hear what Jesus would teach them from God's word. As Jesus is by the lake and these eager crowds gathered around him to hear what he would say, what he would teach them about God and his kingdom, Jesus gets into a boat so that he might address them more clearly without them all pressing in around. So we read, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret 
and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Jesus gets into a boat belonging to Simon. Now we know that uh, this, Jesus didn't just hijack a stranger's boat. Uh, he didn't just kind of see one, jump in, and then the guy that owned it, go, oh, hang on, what are you doing? And Jesus said, oh, take us out a bit so I can preach from this. And uh, he, we know that he already knew Simon because we read that in chapter four that Jesus was in Simon's home and Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law uh, on one occasion when he was in his home. So he got into the boat of someone he already knew, Simon, and they get out onto the water so that Jesus can continue to teach. But this could look like just kind of coincidence. Jesus was there, the crowds were pressing in, he thinks, oh, I need a bit more breathing room, let's jump in a boat, this is very convenient, there's two there, I'll take that one, happens to belong to Simon, off we go. No, this is a setup. This isn't random. Jesus chooses a fishing boat as the place from which he's going to declare the good news to these people. He chooses a fishing boat as the place from which he's going to proclaim the word of God to these people because he's preparing a live demonstration to help them understand something about what it means to follow him. And so he proclaims the word of God to them. And as he finishes his teaching, he does something really quite unexpected. We read from verse 4. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put down or put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night long and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Now, the men that Jesus was with were professional Galilean fishermen. They knew the waters that they were on well. They knew how to catch fish. This was their livelihood. They'd been doing this a long time. And they'd been out on that lake, <laughs> that very same body of water, all night, trying to catch fish. They weren't rookies. It wasn't like me jumping out on a fishing boat with a net and hoping for the best. These guys did this day in, day out. It's how they earned their living. And Jesus, the teacher, who they'd all heard to hear proclaim the word of God, the son of a carpenter, most definitely not a fisherman, now says to them, put the nets down for a catch. <laughs> And Simon's response is actually pretty amusing, to be fair, because he respects Jesus. He respects Jesus as a teacher. You know, Jesus has been in his house. He knows Jesus. He has seen Jesus at work. So he respects him, and he wants to honor him, but you can almost hear the kind of incredulity in his voice. He, he uses this word master, and it's a term of respect for someone who's in authority. But it's, it's not 
He doesn't recognize Jesus as Lord. He doesn't recognize Jesus in this moment as, as the Son of God. He, he doesn't recognize him. It's not the same word as rabbi or teacher. He's not seeing him in that light. He's just saying, look, I, I respect you. I've got a lot of respect for you, Jesus. But does the authority of Jesus really extend to fishing? You can kind of hear like the, the questioning in Simon's voice. Like, that's his area of expertise. So it's like he's saying, look, I, I respect you, Master, but you do know that we do this a lot, right? And we've been out here all night, and we haven't caught anything. Like, <laughs> what are you expecting? What are you expecting? And you've got to add on top of that the fact that they were tired. Simon and his crew had been up all night fishing. And they weren't just kind of sat like guys you might see around Dinton Pastures with, a, with a, a rod in the water just sitting there. This was hard physical work. They were big, heavy nets that these guys had dragged in from the water and they'd already packed up and they were cleaning their nets. They, they were done. And then Jesus took them back out. They were whacked. But nevertheless in this kind of like reluctant, slightly skeptical, but yet respectful obedience, Simon says to him, at your word, I'll do it. It's, it's almost like I can't imagine <laughs> that this is going to yield anything. Like we know how to fish. We've been doing this all night, nothing. But if you say so, I, I'll do it because I respect you. I think you're crazy, and this is really hard work, by the way, but all right, if you say so. And what happens? No one saw this coming. When they'd done this, we read from verse 6, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. This is insane. <laughs> this is the absolute dream catch. This is completely incredible. All night they've been working and nothing. And then Jesus comes along and my goodness me, they catch so many fish that their nets are literally fit to burst. Their boat's beginning to sink under the weight of the catch and they need help to drag it in, to haul it in. And Simon's response, well, I don't know what your response might be in that kind of moment. I think probably, if I'm honest, my response in that moment might have been on the fish. My attention may well have been on what had just happened. Like, this is amazing. I mean, this, the, the amount we'll get from selling this is going to sort us out for quite some time. In fact, we're so tired from last night, but this is such an abundant catch that we could probably take the week off. This is amazing. My attention probably would have been there. Maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you're wired differently to me. But I think my attention might have been on the very many fish. But Simon's response is different. We read from verse 8, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What's happened? What happened in that moment for Simon to respond in this way? Well, what 
happened is that Simon suddenly became aware of who he was with. He suddenly became aware of the glory and greatness and power and sheer authority of Jesus. He suddenly became aware of the holiness of God. And in contrast to that, he became very aware of his own sinfulness, of his own shortcomings, of the fact that he was very much not like Jesus. And all of a sudden, he's filled with fear, I guess, shame as he becomes painfully aware of his shortcomings and thinks, gosh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I shouldn't be anywhere near you, like, or you shouldn't be anywhere near me, like this isn't right. Confronted with the awesomeness, the holiness of God, the incredible power of God, the absolute authority of God, confronted with that, Simon is utterly humbled. He falls at Jesus' knees. He recognizes his own weakness and sinfulness. Now that's the kind of response that we read elsewhere in Scripture too, when people see God for who he is. We read in Isaiah 6, as Isaiah has this vision of God in heaven, and he, he cries out, Woe! to me or woe is me for for I'm lost I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts Isaiah sees the majesty and beauty of God and he goes oh my goodness by comparison like whoa I'm a man of unclean lips or maybe John who has a vision of of the resurrected and glorified Jesus in Revelation. We read in Revelation 1 verse 7, he, he writes this about his encounter. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. John was so overwhelmed with the, the holiness of God and the, the reality of his own fallen, sinful state that he falls down as though dead. He recognized that his sin separated him from God, that his sin deserved judgment, and that's what we see going on here with Simon on this boat. He confronted with the glory of Jesus. He recognized that his sin should separate from Jesus, like you shouldn't be near me, please go away, and that his sin deserved judgment and he's afraid now this is really interesting see I think we can be very quick to downplay our sin and we can be very quick to, to downplay sin in others lives and to comfort them, and to, oh, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. And we're going to get to it, it's okay, in a moment, but we can't skip over this bit. 
See, the truth is, is if you have really seen God for who he is, if you have understood who God is and how that relates to you, if you've really understood the might and the the majesty and the, the splendor, the awesome holiness, the purity of God, then, then what that does for us is it, it highlights just the fact that we are not like that. And if you've, you've never become aware of your own sinfulness, then I want to suggest that you've never actually understood the holiness of God. But what's interesting about it is that Jesus doesn't preach uh, some kind of fire and brimstone message to Simon. He does talk about hell at other points in Luke's gospel and he talks about judgment at other points in this book and we're going to come to those. But here Jesus does no such thing. He doesn't say to him, Simon, you're such a sinner. You need to repent, you horrible, sinful man. He, he, he says no such thing. He just simply reveals something of his glory to them. He gives them a glimpse of who he is. And in response, Simon goes, oh, woe is me. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. It's important that we respond with humility to the holiness of God. But what happens next is truly stunning because Jesus doesn't leave him there. Jesus doesn't say, yes, yes, Simon, you are a sinner. You're right. I should go away from you and destroy you because that's what you deserve. (laughs) That's not what Jesus says. It, it, It would not have been incorrect, technically, for Jesus to say that, but that isn't what Jesus does. He says this. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Now notice, Jesus doesn't say to him, you know, you're not sinful, Simon. You're, not, you're wonderful. You're just so lovely. No, don't say things like that about yourself. No, no, you're wonderful. Jesus, that's not what Jesus says. But he does say to him, do not be afraid. Well, how can he say this? Is Jesus just simply overlooking or, or excusing Simon's sinfulness? No. Jesus tells him not to fear, not to fear destruction, not to fear judgment. Why? Because Jesus knows full well that he is going to die on the cross in Peter's place. That he is going to pay the price for Simon Peter's sin. And so for Simon Peter, there is no need to fear. And I want to say to you, today that if you come to him and if you humble yourself before him and recognize your sinfulness and your need of a savior then there is no need to fear because he has fully absorbed the wrath of God at the cross that you did deserve 
But Christ has paid the price so that you might know forgiveness, so that he might say to you, as he said to Simon Peter, do not fear. So yes, you are sinful. No, you're not deserving. Simon recognized it of himself. We need to recognize it of ourselves too. But in Christ, there is no need to fear. This is stunning. This is amazing, isn't it? So I tell you, it doesn't matter for me how many times I hear that. How many times I hear the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for me. That, that I, I recognize in myself, I have fallen short. But because of what Jesus has done, he says to me, Owen, there's no need to fear. So it doesn't matter how many times I hear that. It excites me. It brings a tremendous sense of relief and comfort and hope. Because I know my sins are many. I know that if I were to be judged according to my works, I am in big trouble. Just like Simon knew of himself, I'm in big trouble. But the glorious truth is that Jesus says, if you trust in him, you humbly confess your sins and trust in him, there is no need to fear. But then he, he takes it even further. Not only does he not condemn Simon Peter in his sin, he calls him and he commissions him to join him in his mission. And what is this call, he says, to be catching men or, or to be a fisher of men. This whole thing was a setup, this miraculous catch of fish, of Jesus providing in this way, of seeing all of these masses of fish come into these nets was a, an illustration and a picture of Jesus saying, what I did there with you in the boat is what I want to do out here with you on dry land, but not catching fish to be consumed, but instead catching up men and women from death to life, catching up men and women into relationship with me, that as I say to you, there is no need to fear that they might hear that same good news. Jesus wants to be very clear, right from the word go, that following him means calling others to follow him too. That finding freedom in him means calling others to find freedom in him too. It's what Christ followers do. What Jesus called and commissioned these first disciples for and the call for us is no different. And on hearing his call, being captivated by his power and his holiness and his authority and his grace. What did they do? Well, we read, they left everything they had, everything there, and they followed him. They left behind everything and followed him. They left behind everything and went to join him on his mission. Now remember, they just had the most monumental catch of their lives. And they left it behind to follow him. You know, we can so easily spend our lives chasing after things we want. These guys would have spent their whole careers dreaming for a catch like that. 
spend our whole lives chasing after a fulfilling career or financial freedom, what, whatever that means. Strange <laughs> word, phrase. A nice house, the right spouse, all these different things. But the truth is this, those who grasp the fullness and beauty of what we receive in Christ Jesus will be willing to leave everything to follow him. I don't necessarily mean that when you become a Christian you have to leave your home or <laughs> leave your job or <laughs> like give away everything you own. Although maybe some people do. I'm not meaning that though. What I mean is this, that when we consider the worth of Jesus, when we understand all that we have in him, by comparison, we consider all these other things not worth holding on to anymore. We consider all these other things as, as not worth grasping for or striving for in the same way anymore. They don't carry the same value to us. They don't have the same hold over us any longer. Because if we lose it, well, so be it. It isn't really of consequence compared to the surpassing joy of knowing Jesus. In him we have something infinitely better, the sure and steadfast hope of eternity with God. And so we don't need to hold on to this and that and, and, and that promotion or that property or that relationship. We don't need to hold on to and grasp after those things to feel fulfilled or completed anymore. We don't no longer need to look to those things to satisfy us or to feel secure because in him we have all that we need. And these first disciples recognized that they were so captivated with him, so amazed at his authority and his beauty and his kindness and his mercy that they left it behind that they might follow him. The temptation for them to, to stay with the catch, to count it. Like, I mean, how I many? There were so many here, like the nets broke. Like, how many did we catch? Like, I wonder, this must be some kind of record, surely, to sell it. <laughs> and to say, you know, look, Jesus, we'll, like, we will come, like, we w but just, like, can we sort this stuff first? Can't we have this and come with you? I guess I want to ask you to consider, are there things that you might need to be prepared to leave behind in order to follow Jesus? Are there things that you're clinging on to? Like, Jesus, but, but like, can I follow you and this? I want to encourage you. He's worth it knowing him, walking with him, hoping in him is infinitely better than anything else. Allow your delight in him to loosen your grip on other things. Allow your delight in him and your awareness of his holding on to you as you hold on to him 
to cause you to hold on to other things a lot less tightly, to be prepared to let them go, maybe even to leave them behind, to follow him. Just drawing these threads together. There are a few key points of application for us today from these verses that I want us to look at together. The first is this, is drawing it together, is that Jesus, Jesus calls them and he tells them that he's going to use them to call others. And the passage, the way it's structured, gives us some key things of what that's going to look like. And the same way that he drew them and he called them and he said he was going to use them to call others is true for us today too. And so the first thing we notice in the passage is that Jesus draws people with God's word. And his tactics haven't changed. Throughout scripture and throughout the church history, the charge to the church, the charge to Christians, the charge to you and I has been to proclaim the word of God, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ that is contained in these pages, to speak the good news of the gospel to people. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. How can they call on a God of whom they've not heard? And, and how can they hear if someone doesn't tell them? Jesus called them. And he's calling you too. He's calling us too. To be a people who proclaim the word of God. Who know it. And who share it with others. Now churches might use all kinds of gimmicks to attract people. Maybe it's the temptation is like, if we have the best coffee, like then people will want to, you know, they might visit the first time, but if we've got the best coffee, then they'll come back. Or maybe we put the most beautiful people on the welcome team or on our literature, so that, that will help. Or maybe it's, we just, we just put on the best show. It's great Sunday entertainment. Maybe the coolest music. We work hard to create the best atmosphere. And in these COVID times, while we're meeting online, then like <laughs> the challenge right now is seems like which church is going to produce the most entertaining Sunday TV for me and my family. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not against good coffee. I'm not against presenting well or doing things with excellence. But if that's what we're relying on, instead of declaring the good news of Jesus, then we're in a whole heap of trouble. And we're selling people so far short. If we're relying on marketing tricks and slick presentations instead of the word of God, then we have utterly missed the point. We're selling trinkets when we've got absolute gold here. God's word. We've got truth to proclaim, truth to, to declare to a world that doesn't know its left from its right, a world that is starved of truth. A world that increasingly seems to be on shifting sands of 
everything's called into question. Like does two plus two equal five? This is the world we're living in, and we have the word of God. We have beautiful, amazing, God-breathed-out truth that we can share with people. We've got a message of hope that people can find forgiveness from their sins, that they might find eternal life with God. And too often, we can be tempted to just tickle their ears with, with nice words or kind of feel-good pep talks. It won't do. We must be people of the Word. And I, I just, just as a side, I want to say, if you ever think that we've let that slip as a leadership team. If you ever think that I've, as a leader, that I've begun to rely on other things to try and reach people other than boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, then please, please call me out on it. And if I don't listen to you, then sack me and find someone that will. It's essential. We need to be a people of the word to fulfill the mission of God. And what else do we see? We see that it's not just important that we hear the word of God and speak it out, but also that we obey it, that we live it out, that we put it into action. See, Jesus provided the catch of fish, didn't he? Jesus provided that, but Simon Peter needed to put the nets down. There's great encouragement here, though, right? Simon is remarkably ordinary in his response, as we said earlier. It wasn't like this amazing kind of like, yes, Jesus, of course, and I believe that you're going to provide amazingly. <laughs> He's not exactly full of expectation or faith, but he is obedient. Sometimes we can place so much emphasis on our need to get it right, to, to have enough faith or whatever. But Simon just simply had to obey and trust and Jesus did the rest so I call us to be a people who proclaim God's word and a people who are obedient to God's word but there's more See, we're also to be a people who humbly recognize our failures a people who understand that it's only by God's grace that we can stand and out of that place to invite others to come to him too. You know, sometimes I think Christians, we can fall into two equally dangerous traps on this issue. See, the first is that I think sometimes we can rule ourselves out of being used by God to bring people to him because we think we're not good enough. We can rule ourselves out of sharing the gospel with our friends, our family, our colleagues, because we think that if we're going to do that, then, then we need to have it all together. Like, oh, but you don't know what I did like last week. There's no way I could share that with them because I'm, I'm just not good enough. We have to have all the answers. That's on one hand. The other is that we can just put up a front and pretend that we have it all together, which makes everyone else feel like they're not good enough to be a Christian. So even if they do hear a proclamation of good news, we undermine it by 
selling the message that we are amazing. And really, that's what it means to be a Christian, is to, is to be amazing, is to not make mistakes, to never do anything wrong, to be morally perfect. And that is what it means to be a Christian. <laughs> And both of these things, that either the despair of, oh, I'm not good enough to share good news with someone, or the, the false pretense of, I am just amazing. You should be more like me. Oh, you can't. Shame. Both of those are, are terrible, and both utterly miss the point. See, the truth is, is that, like Simon, we do need to recognize that we make mistakes, that we fall short. We wrestle with sin. We're not perfect. But we also need to acknowledge the glorious truth is that he is. (laughs) We're not supposed to be the heroes in the story. I don't know if you knew that. You're not the Messiah. And that's really good news. You're not perfect. You won't be until Christ returns. And neither am I. We aren't calling people to be as good as we are. And that's a really big relief because we're not all that. We, like Simon, humbly recognize our brokenness and our need of a savior. And we joyfully, gladly, humbly accept what he has done on our behalf, that he gifts to us At his own expense, he gives to us a righteousness that isn't ours. And out of that place, we go and share good news with others. You don't need to fear. There's forgiveness. Yes, you've screwed up. You really have. But there's forgiveness to be found. I failed. And I, I just, I, I'm sure none of you are, but just in case you're under any illusion, you need to know that I've messed up. Yeah? I mess up daily. Daily, I fall short of my own standards, let alone the perfect, holy standards of God. I've failed. I've made a mess. (laughs) But the glorious truth is that that no longer defines me because I've found hope in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I'm no longer under condemnation. I'm no longer bound by shame. Guys, this is the good news of the gospel. You need to hear it. You need to remember it. You need to remind each other of it and you need to proclaim it to all who will hear. Jesus is the hero and you're not. And that's good news and it means there is no need to fear. Simon had to put down the nets in obedience but Jesus was responsible for the catch. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for us is that we would head into this week that we would head out into this year with a fresh sense of call to know God more fully, to grow more into the likeness of Jesus and to, to go with Jesus on mission 
to those around us, to throw out the nets, to proclaim the good news of the gospel with humility, to do the work of an evangelist, to cast out the nets faithfully and consistently and to trust God, to trust God with the catch. I'm going to pray and then hand back over to Rich and Soph and Ina to lead us in one final song. Oh Lord, ask would you help us? <laughs> Lord, we recognize that, that we all fall so far short. Lord, I pray today would you give us, each one of us, would you give us a greater glimpse of your glory Would you give us a greater glimpse of your beauty? Would you give us a greater comprehension and understanding of your majesty? Lord, would you never let us lose the wonder of your love and your mercy and your tenderness towards us? That you haven't treated us as our sins deserve. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to live in humble obedience to your word? this week, Lord, and would you use us? Would you use us this year at Foundation Church to see many, many people caught up into new life in your kingdom? For your glory, Lord, we ask. Amen.